0: Welcome from me, my name's Nick, I'm one of the ministers here, I'll be bringing God's word this morning. We're continuing back in our series in James, we had a break last week, we're back in James uh, this week, so if you've got a Bible with you, open it to James chapter 3, and our reading is from verse 13 to chapter 4, verse 12, 3 verse uh, 13 to 4 verse 12. But before we uh, do the reading this morning, let me ask you this question. Who is it who winds you up? Who really winds you up? Children, who really gets on your nerves? I'm mindful I'm in danger of asking these quite aggressive questions myself, to have at least half of you thinking of me. It's okay, though. Um, why do people wind you up? The person who tends to wind you up the most, what is it that they do? Why do you get in a situation where you find yourself wound up and behaving badly towards them? Uh, do you find you're constantly getting into uh, small arguments? Do you find that your marriage is characterized by constant low level bickering? Do you want better relationships? Uh, With your family, with your parents, with your children, with your colleagues, with those uh, in your general community, with those in your church community groups, with brothers and sisters at church. And maybe you're just visiting here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. But don't you long for more peace in your relationships? Whether that's uh, face-to-face relationships or those you find yourself uh, messaging or those online. So who winds you up and why do they do it? Well, James is going to tell us in our reading this morning. But as a preview, just look with me at 4 verse 1. Chapter 4 verse 1. We'll get the answer to the question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you God says the reason for our fights and our quarrels and our arguments are not found in the person who wind us up they're found in you and they're found in me now that's a pretty punchy way uh, to start this morning but I hope you can see that that is what scripture is saying and secondly I hope you're already detecting the good news in what's been said because if the problem is found in someone else then there is really nothing that can be done about it but if the problem is found in us then there is hope we can't change others but we can by the grace of God change ourselves so uh, let's get into our passage this morning just remember who James is he, James is uh, a leader of a church in Jerusalem he's writing to churches Christians who've been spread out over a number of different places And uh, one of the things he has in targets is genuine Christianity. And back in chapter one, verse 26 to verse 27, he uh, flagged uh, three things that mark genuine Christianity. Firstly, he flags about how we speak. And we considered that uh, two weeks ago in James chapter three. Then he flags how genuine Christianity looks after vulnerable. And we consider that when we did a couple of sermons in chapter two. But then the final thing he flags is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And Children, if uh, you are a Christian, the Bible says that you are completely different from everyone else in the world. That's true for all of us. Now, with that in mind, let us read um, this morning's passage. So 3 verse 13. 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding? <coughs> then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You cover and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gleam. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? So we've been in uh, this letter for a few weeks now, and hopefully we're beginning to get a feel for what James is saying. He's writing to people who really are Christians, but he's writing to Christians who are behaving badly. And the reason for their bad behavior, it's not from what's going on in their heads. They've got good doctrine. They believe the right things. Rather, it's what's going on In their hearts. It's what they love, and that has driven their bad behavior. You see, they love God, but they also love the world. They love the philosophy of the world. That's why he calls them in verse 8 double minded or literally two souled. They've got two loves. They love God, but they also love the ways of the world. I read a thoughtful article uh, this week on the biggest factors or hindrances that lead or don't lead children to grow up in the faith of their parents Uh, this is what the author said very challenging observation he says a family that is otherwise indistinguishable from their unbelieving middle to upper class neighbors in terms of where they choose to live and how they spend their money is probably not different enough to make a difference to their children's discipleship If your basic outlook on life still functionally treats financial security and physical comfort as your primary life goals, then family discipleship can easily be perceived as different wallpaper on the same house. And his point is simply this. It's all very well to have the right doctrine. But if your loves and if your priorities are basically the same as the world around you, then don't expect your children to grow up uh, loving God instead of loving the world around them because who you say you you love with your mouth is not who you love with your heart the world now James is writing to Christians in this uh, predicament those who are worldly but it's not just in this section worldliness in general in particular the angle is on our behavior towards one another Uh, Did you see that bad behaviour in 3 verse 14, where James highlighted jealousy, uh, sorry, uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? He repeated that in verse 16 as well. The the least of vileness, nasty behaviour. 4 verse 1, we've also flagged. We talked about um, quarrelling and fighting. And again, towards the end, he flags it about speaking evil against one another or just literally speaking against one another it's everywhere in this passage but as well as giving just flagging up the behavior of worldliness, he also gives us the solution to worldliness, which i'm so thankful for because i find myself behaving just like the description that james give and this is his, a solution his solution is humility it's humility now children humility means putting someone else first And it's humility that will bring peace and uh, agreement and uh, delight in relationships. It will stop us from arguing. And that's really the main thing. I think this passage is telling us this morning that it's humility that brings peace. Humility brings peace. And we look at the details of this passage. James is going to highlight three different Uh, causes of our bad behavior of our worldliness three pictures he's going to paint Uh, firstly he's going to say we're looking in the wrong place Uh, secondly he's going to say we're longing for the wrong lover and thirdly he's going to say we're living in the wrong role and we're going to work through them as we look in detail to what James is saying so firstly uh, we're looking in the wrong place three verse 13 to 18 James starts by asking a question: Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, children, if we uh, were at, at school or Sunday school, we might say, um, "Hands up if you're wise," and everyone's hand would go up, wouldn't they? You think, really, <laughs> really? Now, James doesn't do that. He doesn't say, "Hands up, is wise." Hands up, who is wise? He says, "Let show your wisdom by your meekness." Again, meekness, uh, just like humility, putting others first. now the reason he doesn't say hands up if you're wise is because actually the people he's writing to aren't wise at all. Or at least that's to say they're not truly wise. Let's I mean, imagine you go on to um, Church Suite. Church Suite is our uh, online platform that uh, where we do the admin of the church. And one of the things in our Church Suite is our address book. So if you're part of this church you can sign up slide plug do sign up it's great to know uh, who comes we'd we'd love to be able to send you more information but um, church we have an address book I want you to imagine that you go onto church suite to see who is regular at our church and you get a piece of paper and you want to write down everyone who is wise in our church so you go through the names and it's going to write down the name of everyone who's wise so whose names would you put down Imagine you, you might um, you might get to the woods. Peter, oh, he's an elder, immature guy. Yep. and Juliet, his wife. Yep. she was a GP. Very, very wise. Let's light down the woods. And you think, yeah, who else is wise? Oh, the Macalpins. Yeah, let's put the Macalpins down. Years on the mission field. They've seen the world. They've gained wisdom. And they're now serving, serving here. They, they, by the way, hate it that I've name-checked them, by the way. I didn't ask their permission in advance. Apologies for that. But who else would you write down? Who else is wise? Who are you going to put in that column? Well, perhaps a surprising thing that James is saying is that on your uh, column with W at the top, your wisdom column, he's saying you should actually put every single name down of everyone at your church because everyone is wise. The issue is not actually who is wise. The issue is what sort of wisdom do you have and where does your wisdom come from? You see, verse 15 talks about the wisdom that comes from above, from heaven, and the wisdom that comes from below, uh, the earth. And what James is saying is we're actually looking to the wrong place. We should be looking up the wisdom that's from above, but actually we're looking uh, for wisdom on this world the philosophies of this world. See, there is plenty of wisdom to be gained in this world. There is a podcast on literally every topic under the sun. We know it, don't we? Whether it's health or mental health, podcasts on marriage, podcasts on career, a podcast just generally on life hacks, uh, podcasts on finances, podcasts on cooking, podcasts on how to make your home nice, podcasts on productivity, podcasts on history, podcasts on politics. There's a blog on everything, isn't there? People are TikToking on everything. There is wisdom everywhere if you want it. But the question is, where is this wisdom from? Is it wisdom that's from above or is it wisdom from below, from this earth? Is it worldly wisdom? And the shocking thing is, is that James says that wisdom that is from below, it's not neutral. It's not oh, actually, they've probably got something to say it's actually goes on to say actually it's unspiritual see that verse 15 it's earthy it's unspiritual and then just to turn the screw is demonic that's pretty surprising isn't it wisdom from the earth is demonic now we've got to be careful here there is such a thing as common grace uh, god is not saying that unbelievers can never make right decisions about anything at all Imagine when you go to a GP, you don't say, hold on a second, are you a believer? We're happy to receive uh, their medical wisdom, aren't they? The issue, though, is when wisdom becomes about looking after number one, because that is wisdom from below. Look after yourself. You know, you've got to have something for yourself. Uh, you deserve it. You do you. Don't, don't deny yourself. Be true to yourself. That is sort of wisdom that is earthly, spiritual, and demonic. That is the wisdom from Belay. And our problem is that our wisdom is coming from the wrong place. It's not that we don't have wisdom. It's that our wisdom is from the wrong place. And James says, don't do that. Get your wisdom from above. And the wisdom from above is available. And it's wonderful. Why? Because it comes from your father in heaven. Do you remember back in chapter 1? When he said every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, wisdom from above is available. The problem is we're not looking for it. We don't value it. We don't treasure it. And look what the wisdom from above produces in verse seventeen. It is a picture of beauty. Imagine if this character, characterise your workplace or your relationship with your neighbours, or uh, or your community group, or your family relationships. He says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace how do we stop arguing by looking to the right place by looking above looking from wisdom that's from above we come to our father and plead with him make us peaceable father make us wise make us like you please give me the meekness of my lord jesus christ that humility will bring us peace so firstly we're looking in the wrong place we're looking from the wisdom from below rather than the wisdom from above secondly we're longing for the wrong lover that's really the main paragraph we've got this morning from chapter 4 verse 1 to 10 what's the reason we fight and bicker god says it's us it's me and it's you that's why we fight verse one it's our passions did you see that verse two it's our desires it's our coveting verse three again it's our passions basically what he's saying is the reason we fight and bicker the reason you argue is just this we don't get our own way we don't have our own way and so we fight What is behind the reason we say to someone, well, I'm just not talking to you at the moment? Well, according to James, according to God, it's not that someone else has done something wrong. I mean, they may well have done something wrong, but his point is that's not the fundamental issue because it takes two to tango. It takes two to have argument. The reason you're having an argument is because of your passions and your desires are not being met. You're not getting your own way now listen we might think oh it's a fairly trivial issue it's not and he really ramps it up in verse four he says you adulterous people see throughout the scriptures God's relationship with his people is pictured as a loving husband who passionately cares about his wife his bride the church but the problem is his wife his bride the church is unfaithful that is us we are an adulterous people we have our loving, our loving husband, God, but we're wanting to share our bed with others. What's the other lover we're longing after? It's the world. It's the world's values. It's living like everyone else. Because that's how James finishes in verse 4. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? For whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Saying, look, you're Christians. I know you're Christians. You're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about he's put his spirit in us later on. And yet you don't act like it. What's the evidence? The evidence is you're driven by your passions and your desires and your instincts. Really meaning your self-interests, your self-centeredness. And that affects your relationships. Because when you don't get your own way, you can't handle it. Which is why you end up fighting and quarrelling. He's saying you're being unfaithful to your God. You're being unfaithful to the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you. The Lord Jesus Christ who said blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. We're sharing our bed rather with the world who says blessed are the pushy for they get their own way. Blessed are those who shout the loudest for they will be heard. And the reality is, that is the advice of the world. That's the advice of careers advisors, life coaches, reality TV, even counsellors, secular counsellors, often saying this stuff. And it's often what we believe. And James is saying your relationships are bad because you're in bed with the wrong lover. You're longing for the wrong lover. You love to pursue your passions. You love to get your own way. But that is why your relationships were in such a mess. Now, listen, this is us. He's not, James isn't the first instance writing to us, but it's quite a general letter. He's talking to what Christians tend to be like. We love God, but we love the ways of the world as well. That is how we relate to each other so often. But what comes next in verse 5 is possibly one of the most remarkable verses in Scripture. Look with me at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose? That the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. The image that God gives us of our spiritual condition is sexual unfaithfulness. Now, that's pretty convicting, isn't it? It's not a small thing. He's saying the image of your spiritual, your spiritual condition is sexual unfaithfulness. And yet the image God gives of his love is that of a jealous husband who longs for his sexually unfaithful wife to return. He, he loves her that much. He wants her back. She has wronged him, but he loves her. He loves her so much. He wants her back. He wants us back. He yearns jealously for us. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ came to die for us. Because God loves us. He loves you with a passion, no matter what you've done. You might be thinking, oh, yes, I, spiritually, I've seen I have been an adulter- adulterer. You might be thinking the first thing that comes to your mind, actually, I, I know I'm a spiritual adulterer because I am a literal adulterer. I am literally sexually unfaithful. Well, sexual unfaithfulness, whether actual or spiritual, does not stop God from longing to have you back what's the proof that Lord Jesus Christ has died for you and isn't that the best news so come back to your husband now that is what James is saying come back to your God verse 8 draw near to God and he will draw near to you what a promise to those of us who find ourselves constantly making a mess of our relationships and notice James doesn't say You've got a problem. You must try harder. Do better. He's saying you've got a problem. Humble yourself towards the Lord. Come back to him. He gives us grace. He helps. Look at verse six. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who know they've messed up. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. God helps those who are in a mess. Those who submit themselves to him, who humble themselves before him, who mourn and weep at their sin... He helps them. He helps you. And he helps me. He gives grace. He helps us come to him. We might not even mourn as much as we think we should mourn. We might even be cold hearted to unfaithfulness. We just know there's a tiny inkling that we know we've not done what we ought to say. Lord, help me. Convict me of my sin more. Thank you that you give grace to those who uh, to enable us to come to you. And someone put it to me this way: uh, this week, God's grace is a bit like a trampoline. We humble ourselves; meaning we go down on a trampoline. You go down first. We humble ourselves; we go down. But those who go down the trampoline are always lifted up, and that is the same with the Lord. Those who humble themselves before Him, He always, always lifts them up, and He forgives us and He changes us. And the thing that James has in focus here is he changes our relationships. Now, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our relationships should be exemplary. Sadly, they're often not. They should be full of peace and gentleness and mercy. Our relationships should be open to reason. We should be great listeners. And yet, sadly, our relationships are often characterized by arguing and fighting. But God helps those who come to him in humility. We say, I just can't help it. I've done it again. I can't help it. But he says, I give grace to the humble. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I will cleanse you. I will change you. I will purify your hearts. When we come to God in humility, he helps us. Why are our relationships in the wrong place? Uh, Sorry, why are our relationships in a mess? Because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking for the values of the world. Not the values of the kingdom. And we're longing for the wrong lover. We're longing to satisfy our desires, aren't we? Rather than God's good ways. Well, the final thing we get wrong is that we're living in the wrong role. That's the last uh, two verses. We're living uh, in the wrong role, verse 11 to 12. Children, do your parents ever say to you, stop telling tales? So annoying, isn't it? It's like, what do you mean? I found out someone's doing something wrong. You can get them. Why do they say stop telling tales? They say stop telling tales because they're basically, look, you're doing the wrong job. That's not your role. Your role isn't to tell tales. You're not the judge. Don't worry about that. And that's really exactly what uh, James is saying in these closing verses, what God is saying through this letter. See, what he's got in sights now is slander, We could say backstabbing or gossip, speaking against other believers. Why is that not right? Why is it not right? Is it because people actually are are, are doing the right thing and we're just saying they're doing the wrong thing when they're not? No. People are doing wrong stuff all the time. We all are. The reason it's wrong to speak against others is because we're not judges. We're setting ourselves up as the judges, but we're living in the wrong role because there's only one judge, verse 12, and that's God's. And ironically, in setting ourselves up as judges over others, we're actually condemning ourselves because we've put ourselves above God's law. Now, I guess we can all think of a million exceptions where it might be okay or even wise to offer some constructive criticism about someone else. But the reality is, these exceptions, these, I guess, very often hypothetical exceptions, Barely scratch the surface today, compared with the multiple times we frequently talk down each other. We're not those sitting in the judgment seat, or we shouldn't be. We're those sitting under judgment, and the only options open to us, verse twelve, are our destruction or our salvation. None of us are going to get a not guilty verdict on the basis of our behaviour. Yes, others will be doing uh, things wrong, but we're not the judges. We're those in need of grace. And it's that humility that can bring us, therefore, grace and peace in our relationships. Rather than saying, can you believe what so-and-so did? We say, there go I, but for the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying that I too might receive your mercy. So, what leads to your quarrelling, fighting, speaking against one another in disorder? Well, it's us, isn't it? We're looking in the wrong place, looking down in the world for wisdom, rather than God's that heavenly uh, meek wisdom. We're longing for the wrong lover. We love the values of the world that says you first, rather than uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. You put others first. And we're living in the wrong role. We love being the judge rather than seeking mercy from the judge. We're double-minded. We do love God. We, We love God. But we love the ways of the world as well. We love pride. We love ambition. We love judgment. We love to have our desires satisfied. But these things lead to discord. But it's wisdom from above, humility, that will bring peace and a beautiful harvest. Of righteousness. Because wonderfully God gives grace to those who seek it. So looking above, looking to our Father who gives all good things, let's go into this coming week afresh, knowing that our sins are forgiven. Let's go into this week, drawing near to God, resolving uh, not to argue, not to bicker, not to quarrel, not to fight whether that's with our spouse or our children or our colleagues or our friends or our housemates, whoever they might be, because we don't need to. Because we don't need to advance our cause to look after, number one, our Father in heaven will look after us. We don't need to have our own way. Let's resolve not to quarrel because we don't need to get our own way and satisfy our passions and our desires. We've got everything that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who totally loves us. The one who longs for us, even after we've messed up. And let's resolve not to speak against one another. Because God is the judge. There's only one judge. I don't need to be the judge. He's the judge. I don't need to worry about it. And just like the one who's messed up, I'm reminded that I too need daily grace. And through my silence, by God's grace, a bumper harvest of righteousness might come well let's pray and ask for god's help father in heaven we confess that so often our lives are characterized by bickering and fighting by nasty words by subtly putting people down or sometimes not so subtly have mercy on us we pray we thank you that you are so gracious father it's remarkable that you long for us even though we are so unlovely in and of ourselves. Lord Jesus, we praise you for dying us, even in our spiritual condition. We praise you that you persevere us. Uh, Please, we pray, would we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who put others first always. Please, would we know that uh, we will always be looked after by him. And knowing that, please, would we put others before ourselves. Please, please, will there be a harvest of righteousness in our lives individually and as a church we ask these things in jesus name amen